While a lot of people are doing their part to shelter in place in an attempt to flatten the curve, in the last few weeks I've heard and read a lot of comments from people saying something along the lines of this. I don't know why we're making such a big deal about the coronavirus. It only kills old people or people who are already sick. And when I hear that, I get angry because it's just such an asinine thing to say for so many reasons. First, it's just rude. Being old or sick doesn't somehow mean someone's less valuable to our world. And second, it's uninformed. The CDC says those most vulnerable to severe complications from the coronavirus include people over 65 and people who are immunocompromised, which essentially includes people suffering from chronic conditions such as cancer, heart disease, diabetes, asthma, and more. Also, according to the CDC, 60% of adults in the U.S. have a chronic condition. That means more adults in the U.S. have chronic conditions than don't. So while you might not be among the most vulnerable, you likely know or love someone who is. And it's not just your parents or grandparents, it's also your neighbor, your kid's teacher, your colleague, your mail delivery person, a friend. Now I think most people get this, but there's enough that clearly don't get it or don't want to get it that kind of makes me scared. I mean, it's frightening to think that more of our population falls into that category of vulnerable than doesn't. But that also reveals a sad truth about the state of health in America, a truth that has been there long before coronavirus came along to amplify it. It's the truth that being sick in America, that's become normal. And being collectively unaware of just how sick we are, that's normal too. That's not right. If we're going to survive this and come out better for it, we have to get beyond normal. Beyond Normal explores what it takes to cultivate and maintain our well-being in this time of national and global crisis. My name is Tom Godfrey. My team at The Big No and I are going to bring you conversations with thought leaders across different facets of health and well-being so we can all better understand and teach others what it takes to be well in today's world. The fact that the coronavirus poses such a serious risk of hospitalization or worse to so many of us reveals just how scary the state of health is for our country. And according to my guest today, a big reason for this is that we've created a society where making unhealthy choices is easier and more socially acceptable than making healthy ones. Where committing to and achieving sustained health makes you an outlier and weird compared to everyone else. If we're going to make any sort of shift towards a healthier way of being as a culture, it's going to start with individuals choosing to break from these social norms and become what she calls a healthy deviant. Now, she can explain all of this way better than I can, so let's have her do that. Pilar Gerasimo is an award-winning health journalist and social explorer, and she has spent the better part of the last two decades researching and promoting the science of health and well-being. Pilar is the founding editor-in-chief of Experience Life magazine, a whole-person, healthy living publication that reaches over 3 million people with each issue. Pilar also co-hosts a five-star rated podcast called The Living Experiment, where she and her podcast partner, Dallas Hartwig, explore the art of being healthy in an unhealthy world. Their motto, rethink your choices, reclaim your life. It's a really good podcast. Pilar recently released her first book titled The Healthy Deviant, A Rule Breaker's Guide to Being Healthy in an Unhealthy World. It's an amazing read that's earned kudos from a lot of leading health experts, and it's especially relevant in this moment of health crisis we find ourselves in right now. I'm excited for this conversation. Pilar, thanks so much for joining me today. 
Thank you so much for having me, Tom. It's a pleasure to be on the podcast with you. Well, thank you. Pilar, you know, I started out this podcast by making a key point that you've been making for a while now. You know, it's a key premise of your book. It's that in America, being sick on some level is more normal than not. Can you talk about that a bit with me? What's the state of health in America? Maybe even perhaps before the virus dropped. How did we get to this place and how do we get out of it? 60% of U.S. adults have at least one chronic illness. This is the crazy thing. That statistic in itself, I don't think even begins to reflect the true state of health degradation uh, in our culture. 70% of U.S. adults taking at least one prescription drug daily, effectively meaning that they are dependent on prescription drugs. 80% of U.S. adults not thriving mentally and emotionally, meaning that they're suffering from some level of chronic stress, anxiety, depression, mood behavior disorders, cognitive problems. That really means only 20% of U.S. adults are thriving mentally and emotionally, and the rest are really just sort of getting by or suffering some level of despair. 97.3% of U.S. adults are not practicing these four healthy behaviors or patterns. One, eating a reasonably healthy diet, and that was as measured by the USDA food guidelines, adherence to those guidelines, which I personally think are not really good standards. But the second factor that they considered was getting a reasonable amount of exercise. And again, that's not a very high standard. It's like 30 minutes a day, five days a week, which, you know, is it's better than nothing, but it's certainly not being active most of the time that you're awake even. The third factor they considered was not smoking, which is really important, we know, for lung health, and particularly with COVID-19. A lot of the recommendations said, you know, if you're going to quit smoking ever, this is the time to do it. Smoking or vaping is particularly not a good idea right now. Um, But the fourth factor they considered was maintaining a healthy body composition. And that, you know, I always want to point out to folks that having a healthy body composition, meaning your, you know, lean to fat ratio, is more an outcome of other healthy choices and behaviors and patterns than it is a habit in and of itself. But that was a factor that they considered in this research. Now, what they did not consider are a bunch of factors that are actually as or more important than the factors they did consider. Things like getting enough sleep, for example, having enough social support and interactions with people that you feel socially supported, which helps to manage stress. And stress is another factor that they didn't consider. How much stress are you under and how well are you managing it? All three of those factors could be as or more important than the factors that they did mention. So you have to really think about if fewer than 3% of U.S. adults are doing the four things that they counted in that research, how many are doing those four things plus these other three and or other things like avoiding toxins or, you know, not being in a moldy house or, you know, not being exposed to serious traumatic stresses on a daily basis? These kinds of factors... I would say likely reduce the percentage of U.S. adults who are doing most of the things that they need to do to be healthy and happy to potentially like 1%. But even if you don't believe my guess, you know, we know it's a single digit percentage of the U.S. population that is currently healthy and happy and on track to stay that way. And I just want to reflect that that's always going to be bad news for a society. But it becomes especially bad news (laughs) during a threat shared by a large percentage of our population like COVID-19 or any kind of significant shift like in the climate or an environment, anything like the earthquakes or fires or floods that we're seeing coming with increasing frequency. Those are stresses that when they land on people who already have one or more chronic conditions or who are not practicing healthy behaviors, produce astronomically higher rates of hospitalizations and what they call poor outcomes 
which really means things like being put on a ventilator or a, you know, medically induced coma or even dying. So it's really, really serious. And I don't know that we've had the social collective will to really acknowledge just how badly our degraded collective health has put us at risk of daily suffering, but also really significant risk to the, to the fabrics of our society. Uh, why, why, are we, why are things so bad for us? Oh, and maybe even more importantly, as an individual, what is it going to take for me to break out of that? Well, you know, I think as you led into this podcast, really our society is set up to make people not healthy. You know, we have created a society. I don't think anybody set out to design it this way, but the net impact of all of the systems that we have from our food system, our, our industrial systems for agriculture, for food production, the sedentary lives that we have is the result of lots of lovely technological inventions that have made most of the things that we used to do physically with our own bodies things that either we can push a button and have done or that we can eat more easily, hire other people to do. Ultimately, in the book, I talk about a kind of long, slow emergency that has been the evolution of the last 10,000 years since we had the agricultural revolution, in which our society has changed so dramatically that our genetics really can't keep up. It's called evolutionary mismatch. When you basically have genes, like the ones that all of us carry, which are the genes of a hunter-gatherer society, the genes that were formed over 2.5 million years of human history were all formed by people living very consistent lives, mostly outdoors, mostly based on hunting and gathering, spending most of their day outside doing productive tasks that were meaningful, living in small, very supportive groups of people who were dependent on each other for their daily survival and who shared common values and common beliefs and common priorities. And we don't live that way anymore. All of the devices of people having home computers and smartphones and wearable metrics devices and things, that has really only happened in the last 25 years. And this is an untested experiment. And if you are choosing to be a healthy, happy person in the society that we're living in today, you really have to be willing to experiment beyond and outside the accepted norms and the prescribed ways of living. Because we know that the results of those normal, so-called normal behaviors are producing results that are making most of us sick and miserable and depressed and overweight and really vulnerable to all kinds of um, you know, stresses, including things like COVID-19. So you know, to answer the second part of your question, which is what do I as an individual do? I think it starts with accepting the circumstances are really quite extreme. And you will have to deviate in order to find a happy, healthy way forward. If you simply follow what you've been told to do, like, you know, eat less, exercise more, count your calories, avoid fats, join a, a, a very expensive gym or health business studio, do all of the things that I've been told most of my life I had to do to be a healthy, happy person. A lot of those things turned out to A, not work very well, and B, work against me. And so, you know, one of the things I really advocate for is a kind of return to a kind of reality check, I guess, of pragmatism to say, what do we really humans really need to be healthy and happy? And so I really advocate in my book for moving beyond just diet and exercise strategies to what I call self-replenishing strategies and self-sustaining strategies, more of which have to do with adjusting your mindset, adjusting your daily patterns so that you don't get depleted and exhausted and overwhelmed and inflamed. You really get into agreement with what your body needs to be healthy. Let's go deeper on that because you said a little bit ago, 
likely less than a single digit percentage of our whole society is healthy, happy, and on track to stay that way. Those people that fit in that category, you've called them healthy deviants. You call yourself a healthy deviant. So what, it, what do you mean by that? <laughs> and uh, you know, and um, what does it take? I, obviously, if it seems like that's something one could aspire towards. So what does it take to become a healthy deviant? Uh, great question. I think, again, I'll emphasize that what I'm advocating for is not a prescribed diet or a prescribed workout or something that you have to go out and get and buy or do or you know travel across the country to get. All of the suggestions that I make in my book and that I advocate for in the programs um, within it have to do with daily rhythms and patterns and perspective shifts that you can do wherever you are, sheltering in place, on lockdown, <laughs> in self-quarantine. And that I think is important because if it isn't accessible and it doesn't feel good, no one's going to do it. You know, no one's going to be able to do it. In answer to the original question of what is Healthy Deviance all about, I want to first acknowledge, because I think many people freak out when they hear the word deviant, we have been taught in our society to associate the term deviance or deviant with really negative, dangerous kinds of behaviors. Um, we think of it, you know, people who are predators or criminals or, you know, ne'er-do-wells, uh, folks who are messing things up for the rest of us. And in truth, the word deviant, if you look it up in most dictionaries, while it may have, you know, acknowledged that negative connotation, a deviant is really just somebody who differs from the accepted norms um, of their society, someone whose behavior and attitudes differ from the social standards of the day and the commonly accepted conventions or defaults. The thing I really want to emphasize is that I'm choosing to reclaim the word deviant and healthy deviant because we now live in a society where the, the defaults and norms and commonly accepted patterns are making most people sick and killing them early. And you cannot go along with an unhealthy society's norms and conventions without becoming unhealthy and unhappy yourself, which is how we ended up at the point we're living in now with 97.3% of people not being able to do that. You have to ask what kind of society produces a result where only a single digit percentage of its people can thrive or even hope to. And I believe that the answer to that question is a sick society. That's the kind of society that produces that kind of result. So if you don't want to go along with that, if you want to bust out of that norm and beat the sort of horrible odds that you're facing in our society, you have to deviate from the norms. And deviation is really what deviance is about. So I define a healthy deviant as someone who willingly defies unhealthy norms and conventions in order to achieve a high level of vitality, resilience, and autonomy. And in the book, I talk about all three of those things, vitality, resilience, and autonomy, and why they matter so much to what we think of as a successful, meaningful, worthwhile human life. You just kind of referenced it, you know, there are some some core, like fundamental skills associated with being a healthy deviant, or maybe ways of being that help you live that more deviant life, right? You call them nonconformist competencies. Yes. Can you talk briefly, you know, what are these and how are they the fundamental ways of being that help me kind of move toward breaking free from <laughs> the, the societal norms that may be getting me to act the way I'm acting? <laughs> right on. I, in my book, I talk about um, the sort of misunderstood problem 
and the renegade solution. And the misunderstood problem is sort of what I just described, that it's not that you are weak-willed and a bad person or stupid or incapable. It's that you're living in a society that has wired up to produce unhealthy, unhappy people, and you just haven't woken up to that yet, you know? So reframing the problem, I think, is part of the solution. And I really start with that. Like, if you don't know what's going on and you haven't woken up yet to the fact that this is the situation, you will not be able to access the right solutions and strategies. You'll keep doing what most people are doing, which is looking for the next fabulous diet, the next miracle workout, the most amazing symptom suppressing drug or miracle cure. And most of the time, when we go towards these sort of quick fix solutions or these prescribed fussy solutions, we end up working ourselves into a downward spiral of trying and failing or looking with hope to something that doesn't come through and then getting depressed and disappointed and feeling disempowered. And it leads to what I call a vicious cycle of the unhealthy default reality. So the solutions that I suggest are somewhat different than a lot of people might expect because instead of forcing you to access more restraint and more willpower, they really focus on helping you replenish your depleted supplies of resilience and vitality and autonomy and awareness. When you start to replenish yourself using these nonconformist competencies and using what I call renegade rituals, which we'll get into in just a moment, you begin to shift the resources you have on board and available for dealing with the unhealthy culture. And what happens, and it seems kind of miraculous, but I think it's just normally how the body works. The body wants to heal. Given a little bit of the right inputs, your body and mind begin to reprogram themselves and wake themselves up. And suddenly the things that used to tempt you and make you feel out of control cravings, for example, or make you feel incapable of getting off the couch, shift. And you have more mental clarity. You have more mojo, what I call mojo, which is really just like personal power, you know, the, the ability to do the thing you want to do or to not do the thing you know is in your, not in your best interest. As you replenish yourself, suddenly easy, healthy choices become easier and more appealing. And I think sometimes people think it can't possibly be that simple. I must need to deny myself something. I must need to like white knuckle my way through staying on this diet or this exercise routine. If it's feeling like a white knuckle problem to you, I almost, I, I guarantee you that it is because you are depleted, distracted, exhausted, overwhelmed, not ready for that intervention yet. And you may be asking much more of your body mind than is remotely fair. What looks like a lack of willpower is very often simply a condition of chronic overwhelm and of feeling like you just don't have the resources that you need available to cope, to make do. So a lot of the strategies in the nonconformist competencies have to do with three things. First of all, amplified awareness. You have to wake up to the circumstances that we've just been talking about, and you have to be conscious that this is what you're up against. If you're not conscious, you have no chance to intervene. So amplified awareness is really the art of understanding what's going on and noticing what's going on in and around you. So what's triggering you in your environment to do or not do certain things, as well as what's the impact to you? When are you feeling exhausted? When are you feeling like you have really strong food cravings? When are you feeling out of control and like you just got to do something addictive and destructive for yourself? When you notice, you can make more conscious choices. The second uh, nonconformist competency I call preemptive repair. And by preemptive, I mean getting ahead of damage. 
before it's really sunk in and done lasting harm and trauma. Just by virtue of living in the society we're living in today, we are assaulted every moment with inflammatory triggers. We have unhealthy foods like candy jars pushed in front of us. The easiest drinks to grab are soft drinks or sweetened drinks or things that are full of syrups and sugars. Um, you know, most of the foods that are easily available are inflammatory foods. Also, we're surrounded by endless amounts of stress and distraction that are chronic and unrelenting and unremitting. Screens everywhere we go, blaring at us, bleeping at us. Jobs and demands that are really unendurable and unintentable, but that seem like everyone's doing it, so it's normal, so we just go along with it. When we go along with what our society has presented to us as a so-called normal way of life, what I call the crazy that passes for normal, we become inflamed and we incur all kinds of damage. Preemptive repair is about getting ahead of that damage by doing really simple self-sustaining things like drinking water before you're thirsty, eating some healthy food before you're ravenous and starting to crave sugar and, and carbohydrates. It's taking rests and naps and breaks from work at intervals that your body wants rather than waiting until you're so brain dead and so body weary that you simply can't proceed. Because by the time that happens, your immunity has dropped, your inflammation has flared, and you're in real trouble. So things like sleep, rest, breaks, nourishment, hydration, self-reflection, self-care. These are the acts of preemptive repair, and they're incredibly empowering. The third nonconformist competency I call continuous growth and learning, because we have to remember that nobody has taught us the skills that we need to survive in the society we're living in now, because nobody has had to do it before. Everybody is figuring it out as we go. And it really does take a new set of modern day survival skills to navigate the environments that we're confronted with every single day. And those are not skills that we learn in school. Healthy people are usually healthy because they have begun to master these skills or they've mastered a bunch of them. But anybody can learn them if they choose to. The challenge is it's really impossible to learn them all at once. And it's an easy setup for failure. If you feel like, I don't know how, I can't, it's too hard, I, I'll never learn it. Those mindsets are really disempowering to people and it stops them from ever beginning. But each of us ultimately has to decide what we're energized to learn and to do now. And that may be very different for you, Tom, than it would be for me. So I can't prescribe a particular route, but I can say that those three nonconformist competencies are always the on-ramp that take people in the right direction. Pilar, I'd like to talk about kind of this moment right now, because the coronavirus puts those who are immunocompromised, and as you mentioned, that's a lot of people, because uh, it covers a lot of conditions that we might have, it puts people who are immunocompromised at greater risk. I'm wondering what I can do to bolster my immunity, or what I can do to encourage others to bolster their immunity, just to maybe reduce their individual risk. Well, there's always things that all of us can do. And I want to start by saying whether you have formally been diagnosed with an autoimmune condition or with compromised immunity from a diagnosed medical condition or syndrome, or you're just a person who has less than optimal health, you are probably dealing with some level of compromised immunity because immunity goes down with vitality. 
And if you aren't eating a really healthy whole food-based diet, if you're not getting regular activity throughout the day, if you're not sleeping adequately and well, if you're not being surrounded by lots of great social support, if you're not basically feeling like you're thriving, I can guarantee you your immunity is not what it could be. And I think that's true, again, of 99.9% of us right now. Um, so it's really important to acknowledge that the things that you can do to improve your immune function are the same things that you can do to improve your overall vitality and health and energy and resilience. And I'll talk a bit about some of the specific strategies that I think you know, work for everyone. I do want to emphasize, though, none of these things are the equivalent of a cure. None of them will prevent you potentially from contracting this and other viruses, but it will give you a much better shot. So the, the strategies that I suggest are the following. First, defend the immunity that you currently have. You know, in times of challenge like the ones we're living in now, all of the things, your organ reserves, your vitality, the quality of your cell tissue, these matter more than they ever have before. And a lot of the little things that are factors in our health, like how well you regulate blood sugar, how well you have been sleeping at night, how stressed out you've been, let's face it, most have been pretty stressed out. Even the very last meal that we ate, those things can have a measurable impact on our immunity right now or anytime. So there's some really simple things you can do to safeguard that baseline immunity that you have and to defend it. And those are some things like avoiding binge watching TV and marathon TV news consumption, which is frankly what a lot of people are doing right now because their daily lives have been disrupted. They may not be doing the jobs that they normally went to. They're stuck at home. Binge watching seems like a self-comforting thing to do. It's a distraction. Watching the news may seem like a smart thing to do. You're getting all of the information the minute it comes out. But the truth is there's, there's studies that have been done that show how both watching TV news in particular, but just binge watching multiple hours of TV at the same time really does not do good things for your health and vitality and immune system. Avoiding things like junk foods and fast foods and soft drinks, lots of you know, sugars and industrial fats, artificial flavors, colors, preservatives, things you've heard a thousand times before that are just part of eating a, a reasonably healthy diet. Those things matter more now because dysregulated blood sugar is one of the things that they're seeing as really a key factor in whether people become seriously at risk of dying. Um, and I'm not saying that like, look, if you had, uh, you know, you had ice cream for dessert last night, you're in serious trouble today, but a constant supply of those kinds of junky foods does lower your resilience. The more healthy, brightly colored fruits and vegetables, the you know healthy proteins, whether they're animal or otherwise, are really good for you and fiber helps move things through your system. So the kind of common sense stuff that you've heard about nutrition generally just becomes more important now. Same thing with moving and getting daily exercise. Your movement, your body's movement through the day is how it moves around things like lymph fluid. And lymph is key to immunity. It's really where a lot of our defense system lives. But so drinking enough water, Avoiding heavy alcohol use. Um, I know a lot of folks are drinking to kind of ease their mind or to like connect and Zoom happy hours right now. But overdoing it is, you know, putting a ton of pressure on your systems like your liver um, that you want to have functioning optimally right now. Same thing with quitting smoking and vaping, which we talked a little bit about. The other thing that often gets overlooked, and I, I, I really want to emphasize it for people, if you are allergic to certain things, sensitive to certain things, intolerant to certain types of foods, if you have, for example, a gluten intolerance, dairy intolerance, you know you're sensitive to nightshades or eggs or citrus or soy or corn, 
this would be a very good time to avoid eating those foods, even if you can so, you know, kind of get away with it under normal circumstances. Also, you know, toxic personalities are shown to be a really significant stress source in people's lives. Good news is if you're away from work and have a toxic boss, you're not having to deal with that anymore. Bad news, you and your partner may be getting on each other's nerves if you're quarantined together. Um, and you just, you know, you want to take care with the kind of stress you're enduring as the result of social stresses as well. So that's a whole category of things that you can do to defend the immunity you have. I also really suggest thinking about how you can rebuild the vitality that you have lost. And again, most of us, the way we've been living has impacted our vitality and our immunity. So there we get into things like getting more sleep. Your sleep is where your body repairs itself. It's where your body sends out all of its little minions to do the work of repairing your cell tissue and replenishing your organ reserves and rebalancing your blood sugar, recalibrating your immune system and your nervous system. I also suggest things like taking more breaks during the day. And one of the renegade rituals that I suggest is called ultradian rhythm breaks. And this is really interesting, a strategy that has been studied by the US Department of Defense, the Israel Israeli military has done research on it, um, but it's kind of a weird arcane topic that a lot of doctors never learn about, even though we learn about things like um, circadian rhythms. Our ultradian rhythms function throughout the day, and you may have noticed that you go through periods of fatigue where you were like doing great and all of a sudden you can't focus or you feel tired or you're sort of irritated, you get hungry. Those are signals your body wants to take a break, usually every hour and a half to two hours. And if you can heed those signals, notice them, Remember amplified awareness we talked about? If you can notice when you start to get fatigued or stressed, taking a break for 15, 20 minutes is an incredibly powerful way to rebuild your vitality in the moment. The renegade rituals are some of the best interventions for rebuilding vitality. And then getting outside for daily walks, fresh air, and sunshine. Really important to your psychology. If you're in an environment where there's decent sunshine, also important for your vitamin D, which turns out to be very important to immunity. It's hard to get enough sunshine in a northern climate, like the one where we both live. Um, but getting outside for daily walks and fresh air and sunshine is just good for every part of you. I also really suggest meditation, any kind of stress management you can do, breathing exercises, doing little creative and productive hands-on tasks can help a lot. Decluttering or organizing things, fixing things up around the house, doing little repairs. Weirdly powerful, helpful for changing your mood and your sense of hope. And Finally, just being nice to yourself and other people. <laughs> it's really easy for us to get on our own last frayed nerve and to drive each other crazy. But the more we can take, I think, conscious steps to be proactively kind to other people, the better we seem to function. And it just can change our whole mindset. So just a few suggestions there. That brings us kind of to our close. I think we could talk forever here, but uh, it does bring us to our close. And I want to thank you, uh, Pilar, the ultimate healthy deviant, um, <laughs> for sharing your wisdom and guidance today. I think what you gave us is really helpful and actually actionable. So that's really cool. Uh, and to everyone listening, if you haven't already, I highly recommend you read her book. The title again is The Healthy Deviant, A Rule Breaker's Guide to Being Healthy in an Unhealthy World. I've read it. Before I let you go, Pilar, how can people connect with you and learn more uh, from you and about you? Oh, thank you. Well, the website for my book is a trove of wonderful resources, many of which are available for free. And people can also get a 
free preview of the first chapter of my book there. So that's healthydeviant.com. And once you go there, if you navigate around, you can find everything from more sections of the book you might want to look at or listen to, uh, as well as links to the podcast that I do with Dallas Hartwig that's called The Living Experiment. That might be another thing folks would be interested in checking out. We have more than 100 episodes of The Living Experiment podcast available at livingexperiment.com or on any of your favorite podcast platforms. I love to connect with folks via Instagram, Facebook. There's a Healthy Deviant Facebook page as well as a Healthy Deviant Facebook group where more than a thousand people are currently interacting and supporting each other. And I think finding a common sense of identity. And I do believe that's really important. If you're going to be deviating, it helps to find a group of fellow deviants, (laughs) healthy deviants to do that work with. That all sounds great, Pilar. Thanks again for joining me today. Thanks so much. It was a pleasure. For those of you who want to learn more from Pilar, Being by The Big No is just about to launch an online course taught by her. In it, she teaches more about what it takes to become a healthy deviant so you can more readily achieve your health and well-being goals, whatever those might be. Look, I know what we all want. We all just want to get back to normal. We have to accept that normal, that's over. And as Pilar made clear today, normal wasn't working in the first place. Normal was stressing us out. Normal was making us sad. Normal was making us sick. We can do way better than normal. For the sake of our health and our happiness, we have to get Beyond Normal. Beyond Normal is a production of The Big No, where renowned experts teach the skills of health and well-being on demand. You can learn more about our licensable and custom health content solutions at thebigno.com. That's the big K-N-O-W.com. The Big No would love to hear your personal stories about how all this coronavirus nonsense is affecting you right now. We may feature your stories in an upcoming episode. If you're up for it, simply use any audio recording device you have handy and capture a few minutes of your thoughts, feelings, fears, hopes, what have you. And then email that recording to beyondnormal at thebigno.com. Thanks in advance for doing that. This episode was produced by Nate Matson. Our assistant producer was TMR. Our theme music is from premiumbeat.com. The show was edited by Damon Kaler, who also provided additional music. I'm your host, Tom Godfrey. Goodbye.